Friends, welcome to another episode of Making Disciples. Now, this episode is an interview with Ruth Valerio, who's just had a book published, and it's the Archbishop of Canterbury's Lent book for 2020. It's Saying Yes to Life. It's an excellent Lent book. I can't more highly recommend it. Um, and we have a great conversation in this podcast around creation care and a, a good understanding of a theology of creation care. Now, I have to say, as we go into this podcast, just and a big apology, the recording is not as good as I would really love it to be. And uh, it's totally my mistake. I used the wrong microphone and it's ended up being really poor quality. But Ruth's answers are not poor at all. Uh, so um, please do press in and uh, enjoy this. It's, it's such an important topic as we understand why we as disciples care for creation. It's not because it's just good to the planet. It's actually because it's in the heart of God and the heart of the nature of God. So friends, I hope you enjoy this. Uh, interview with Ruth Valerio on creation care, saying yes to life, and please do forgive the sound quality. Ruth Valerio, welcome to Making Disciples. It's thank you very much. Great to be with you. Thank you for taking the time to be with us today. Um, I have to thank you because you were the first person I ever got to speak at a conference with. Spring Harvest partnered me with you. And That's you right. were so kind and caring in helping me work out how do you ever speak at a conference. So thank you very much. <laughs> oh, it was great. It was my pleasure. I yeah, remember great. that year. It was good fun doing it was great that. great fun. <laughs> I want to jump straight in. Um, you've just had a book published. Uh, it is the Archbishop of Canterbury's Lent book for 2020. I have to ask the question, how do you, how does, how do you start writing a Lent book for the Archbishop? Does he contact you? Do you contact him? Do you bump into each other at something? Like, did somebody propose it? I mean, how do you write the Lent book for the Archbishop? Yeah, I know it's crazy, isn't it? I couldn't believe it when I got the invitation through. So the invitation came actually from the publisher who had just had a meeting with with Justin, with the Archbishop, um, and his team looking at what the theme they wanted for the next Lent book and who could write it and so on. Um, so, um, you know, presumably my name was suggested. So off the back of that, I got an email asking me if I would write it. And I nearly fell off my chair. Mm. <laughs> it was not, I was coming to the end of a year where I had just brought out another book and I was looking forward to the next, I was looking forward to 2019 and having some space and being able to do some gardening and at the weekends and so on. And this came through just before the Christmas of, at the end of 2018. And suddenly 2019, my whole year was turned upside down and ruined in a very nice way. <laughs> so when you handed this in, does, does the Archbishop get to read it and give his opinion on it? I mean, how does that work when you write a book for the Archbishop? Does he comment in or does he leave you to it? Yeah, so I needed to come up with the, the basic structure and uh, what I was going to write and get that to him so he could approve it. So I was given a very minimal brief. I was told that, he wanted it to be on the themes of poverty and the environment and for it to be globally, global, hold on, poverty and the environment, for it to be theologically rooted and global in scope. 
no. write a Lemp book off that. <laughs> well, you've, so, Ruth, you've done it, and I absolutely love it. I have read it. I got sent a copy. I was just looking. It's SBCK who's published it. And um, I, just, I don't know why I'm telling you that. You know it's been published by SBCK. Um, it is excellent. And one of the things you just said, you definitely do. One of my frustrations is, um, as somebody who loves theology, the reason why I, I choose to recycle, to care for the planet, to walk more, cycle more, uh, make decisions about where I buy things from, isn't because I want to be nice. It's because it's biblical. It's a biblical concept. Um, how we live and how we uh, engage uh, with our faith is a theological concept. And right at the very book, beginning of the book, it's all highlighted. Uh-huh. Um, I love a highlighter. And I just want to ask you about this particular section it's really early on but you use the phrase about holding creation and salvation together yeah do you want to talk us through that because i absolutely i i could i could read what you've wrote but it you know tell it what's that about because for me i was like yes this is it this is what this is what we are about yeah and actually i'm really pleased you've asked me that and that you've picked up on that because well that's one of the things that i think i delved into more deeply my own understanding as well as I I learned so much while I was writing the book and this was one of those areas so as um depending on your tradition but a lot of our Christian traditions we focus very heavily on God as saviour and Jesus as saviour which is absolutely right so I completely believe that the message of the Bible is about salvation and about Jesus coming that we may have life and life to the full and we are reconciled and redeemed and all of those things. One of the dangers of our focus on Jesus as saviour is that it can become very me-focused. So it can become focused on me and what that salvation does for me and how it can give me a better life. And it it just can become quite self-centered. And there's an aspect of that that's right, because Jesus did come that we may have life to the full. But we can take that too far. If you add in that, sorry, if you add to that the dimension of God as creator, that brings in a much wider dimension and God is creator before he's sal- before he is saviour. So the fundamental affirmation of our faith is that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And if you're from a particular type of Anglican church, you might say that every Sunday morning. It's what our faith is based on. And the impact of God as creator is that it lifts our, that lifts our eyes above just being me-focused and lifts our eyes to what he has made, to this world, to other people, to other creatures, and to looking at them and thinking about them and thinking about how we can be involved in taking care of them. So holding creation and salvation together is a a really helpful balance. If you only focus on God as creator, you can lead, it, it can lead you to a God who is high and mighty, supreme creator God, but not intimately involved in our lives. And God as saviour brings that intimate involvement as well alongside God as creator. Mm. So holding those things together, it's not only important, but it's really helpful. Yeah, 
And you write, you talk in the book about Colossians 1, which quite clearly states that when Christ dies on the cross, he does it to reconcile all things. Mm. And the message translation of that passage is beautiful because it says um, that uh, Christ's death and resurrection uh, brings together people, things, animals, even the atom, get reconciled and recreated into perfect harmony with God. And, and so often the cross becomes a sin management system, doesn't it? Mm. When actually it, it's about the, the redemption or the recreation or the reconnecting of all things uh, back with God. So it's about people uh, and it's about the planet and it is about the creatures. Yeah. And, uh, and when Christ dies, it's a strange idea that, you know, when Jesus dies, he dies for the bunny rabbit <laughs> as much as he dies for us. But I think it, it, we, have to recon- you know, we have to understand, I guess, that when it says Jesus died for all things, it really mm. means all things. It's not some things. Yeah, and for years I read that verse and in my mind I substituted it to read that Jesus' blood was shed on the cross to reconcile all people to him. Mm. And at some point I took off the pair of glasses I was wearing, put on a wider pair and suddenly realised, oh, it doesn't say all people. It says that Jesus' blood on the cross was shed for all things on heaven and in earth. That Paul's kind of shorthand or longhand way of saying everything. Mm. And I wonder whether there's an echo, or I hear an echo, in Paul's use of that all things with Genesis 1, Genesis 1.31, where we're told that God looks at all that he had made and mm. said, it's very good. It's fantastic. And Paul is picking up on that summation. All things that God has made are very good. And so therefore his blood, Jesus' blood shed on the cross is there to reconcile all those things back to God. Mm. Yeah, I, I don't know. I've, um, what you make of this, but I was chatting with a rabbi a couple of years ago and he said, uh, the problem with you Christians is you only ever want to start the Bible from Genesis 3. <laughs> I thought, what do you mean? He said, well, Genesis 3 starts with sin entering the world. And therefore he said, your Jesus is all about him coming to save you from mm-hmm. your sin. But he said, if you see the Bible starting from Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, where God creates the world, puts Adam and Eve in the garden to tend and care and dress creation, Mm. Then you have the fall. It means when your Jesus, he said, died for you, he did it so that you would go back to the original command, which is to tend and dress and care creation. But he said, you're not interested in that. You just want to get back to being sinless, not getting back to caring for and tending and dressing creation. I thought that was really interesting because I think that is so true. Yeah. And again, that is the, the importance of holding creation and salvation together and is where we have a lot to learn actually from indigenous theologies in other parts of the world Mm. that hold that together far more strongly than our Western Christianity does. And is one of the reasons why in saying yes to life, I draw on indigenous theology quite a lot because there's so much we can learn from that, that theology that's much more rooted in a sense of place and in land and in that connection with the uh, with other creatures and and with our common home, as mm. Pope yeah. Francis likes to say. Yeah, I don't know. What do you make of this? Um, it seems to me that some of my most conservative Christian friends who would quite firmly believe in seven day creationism. 
mm. are the least caring for the planet of which they believe God created. Mm. And it just seems to me that, that there's such a high theology of God's creation, in, you know, creating in seven days, it, within some of my friends, but yet when it comes to the caring for that planet, there's no interest in that so much. What, what do you make of that? Yeah, I, I don't know. I think that's very strange. I wonder if that may more be linked with other theologies that they might hold pointing in the other direction towards the end of the world. Mm. And I don't know whether they would hold those two things together. I'm, I actually don't that often come into contact with, that's the wrong way of saying it, I don't that often find myself in conversation with people who hold to a very literalistic view of creation. And those who do, um, that, do, that doesn't seem to have impacted their view of taking care of it now. So I think it might be more to do with the other end hmm. and questions of what's going to happen to this world in the future. Yeah. So, for an example, one of my good Christian friends um, uh, from outside the UK, I'd say, said to me recently, look, God's going to redeem the whole creation, so why bother? Mm. And other Christians say... God's going to destroy the world, so why bother? <laughs> yeah. And there are different views, of course, as to what's going to happen or what the biblical view is of our future, um, which in theological terms we'd talk about eschatology, the words about the last things. And my personal view is would be more of a redemption view that this world isn't going to be destroyed and I think that comes down to a misreading of 2 Peter 3 verse 10 mm. that this earth and the heavens are going to be renewed and transformed and therefore we want to live today in the light of that future and we so I've heard it described as being living parables we want to be living parables of the vision of the future that we're given in the Bible. But I would say whatever view you hold of the future, actually there's so much else in the Bible that points us towards us taking care of this world and of the people who live in it and of other creatures that it doesn't really matter what you think <laughs> think mm. is going to happen in the future. There's lots else in the Bible that points us towards taking care of the present. Yeah. And, and one of the things I notice in Paul is whenever he talks about the future, he always does that in order to inspire life in the present. So for him, it's never a, a kind of theoretical, theological discussion. It's always this is what's going to happen, and then there's this little Greek, so, so then, or therefore, and there's this, it's this one word, therefore, and it's always, therefore, dear brothers and sisters, live in the light of that. So thinking about the future should never um, negate action in the present, but it should always inspire our mm. current action. Yeah. Are you able to share with us some of the other things within the Bible that should inspire us really to care for the planet and to be engaged with our faith and the planet? Yeah, I think one of the things is, is simply that basic point that I've touched on, that God made this world. 
And and he loves it. Genesis one thirty one, that that all word that God looked at all that he had made and he said it's very good. He loves it, he values it. We see all the way through the scriptures, particularly in the Old Testament, how the natural world forms a part of the story of creation and then the story, sorry, we see how the natural world forms a part of the story of salvation, the story that we see in the Bible. God is intimately involved in his creation. So Job 38 and 39, you know, that amazing, those amazing words of the might and the awesomeness of God. Where were you when I did this? Where were you when I did that? This incredible, huge God. But yet, at the beginning of Job 39, we see him watching the doe birth to the fawn and talks about him. He, he watches, he knows, he counts the number of days, he watches the, the fawn being brought up. He's so intimately involved in his creation. And you get this sense from Job 39 and from some of the Psalms and other places that God looks at his creation and delights in it. And so, therefore, as people who love God... Don't we also want to value and treasure mm. and look after something that is so valuable to him? I sometimes uh, talk about a tapestry, a William Morris tapestry that I made some years ago, put my all into it, took quite a lot of time into making it, and it now hangs on the wall um, back at home very proudly. If I were to get home one day and find that my kids had taken it off the wall and were wiping their muddy feet on it, I'd be devastated. But of course, I know I'm not going to get home to find that because my kids know that I love it and they know that it's precious to me. Mm. So they wouldn't dream of treat of doing something bad to something that means so much to me. And so for us as followers of this Jesus, by whom, through whom, for whom the world was made, we want to value and cherish that which is so important to him. There's much else I could go mm. into as well, but I'll stop at that yeah. one very fundamental point. It, it seems to me within some circles that um, what within the whole care for the planet kind of circles, that we've elevated the planet to the point where it's almost like caring for the planet is caring for the God that is the planet. And mm -hmm. we've swapped god for the planet and therefore creation care is about almost caring for mother earth kind of concept and um i've heard from a number of friends of mine almost like well i'm not going to go down the creation caring for the planet route because because a lot of the people that do that end up just worshiping the planet which i find a really weird i you can care for something without worshiping it yeah um yeah. But th there does seem to be just a little bit of something going on where we're swapping out the living God for the, the very creation of God in the care for the planet. And uh, what would you say to somebody who's kind of concerned about what's kind of being seen at the moment where people are very passionate about caring for the planet, but in, in a way that's not necessarily healthy, although it's a healthy thing, the way they're going about it is not necessarily healthy? I would say... If we keep ourselves rooted in the Bible, then there is no way of that happening. So what you're talking about is a view that would be called pantheism, that God sort of is in everything, uh, or not, sorry, not that God is in everything, but that God is everything. Everything is God. There's that blurring 
with the divine. And there is nothing in the Bible that leads to pantheism. There is nothing in the Bible that leads to us substituting God for Mother Earth or the world. So if we keep reading the Bible, then we'll be fine. But there is plenty in the Bible that encourages us to think of ourselves as much more connected with the nat- with the rest of the natural world than than has often been the case within our Christian theologies. So even in the way that we talk about caring for creation, in our language, when we say caring for creation, in our minds we mean caring for all the parts of creation that aren't human. Uh, and that completely separates, you know, we're humans, we are part of creation. Mm. So caring for creation is also about caring for human beings. And the very way that we use that language shows how we've separated ourselves off. There's a, a lovely phrase that a New Testament scholar called Richard Borkham uses, where he talks about the community of creation. And I love that. We as humans, we are part of the community of creation. Mm. In the Hebrew, Adam is made from the Adama, from the ground. It's a it's a word play. Yeah. We are earthy ones. We're earth creatures. So that's not a new age thing. That's a biblical thing. Yeah. We are connected. We take part in the in the whole choir of creation in worshiping God. So there is no need to fear going down a, a route that is unhealthy. The Bible um, it will keep us on track. Mm. Mm. So for me, the the gospel is about um, the reconnecting of our relationship with God, with each other and the planet. I think when when sin enters the world, there's three relationships that are broken. That with God himself, he wants to walk with us in the cool of the day and we're separated with each other. The relationship between each other is damaged, but also um, the relationship with the planet. And we see that in the fact that Adam and Eve are told it's going to be difficult. You have to toil. The earth's going to be difficult. So when Jesus dies, he's actually dying to bring us back into these three right relationships. Yeah. But we neglect this creation relationship. And I think what I love about this book is it's starting to re- help people reconnect with Jesus didn't die just to save you to have a relationship with God. Mm. It is with each other in the community, but also with the community and the planet. Yeah, and, and that is so, that's so scripturally based Ephesians and um, Galatians three twenty eight that yeah. in Jesus there is no Jew nor Greek, slave nor female, uh, slave slave nor free, male and female. Mm. You know, and Ephesians two that Jesus' death has broken down the dividing wall of hostility. So, and then Colossians one, as we talked about already. So Jesus' death brings about reconciliation with God, with other people, mm. with the wider natural world. There's um, a, a book, an earlier book of mine called Just Living, Faith and Community in an Age of Consumerism, starts off exploring those threefold aspects of relationships and looking at how they outwork in the Bible. So if people want to find out more or read more about that, then they can do that there. And thinking about my work with Tear Fund, we base our understanding of poverty. We see poverty as coming from that breakdown of relationships. And so our work in seeing people lifted out of poverty and living transformed lives is about restoring those three aspects of relationship. 
So can I ask you a yes but what now kind of question in that if, if somebody's listening to this and just starting to reconnect that, that Jesus' death was about them connecting with God, each other and the planet, but they're not doing the planet bit yet, but they're starting to realise, hang on, there's something for me here to do with the planet. What are the first steps you would say to someone uh, who's on that journey now of just realising that the gospel's bigger than just sin management? I would say, firstly, get out more. So get out. Get out to the natural world. Go for a walk. Walk around your streets. Look at the plants creeping up along the walls or up through the pavement cracks. If you live near a park, go out into the park. Find a way to be out in the wider natural world. And as you're doing that, ask God to speak to you and ask God to give you some some glimpse of what he feels when he looks at the world, some glimpse of his heart for the world. So so get out more. And then secondly, get some knowledge. Um, so pick up books like Saying Yes to Life or another one that I've written called Ellis for Lifestyle, which has got lots of information and practical things in it. Find out about the issues that are that uh, that are such a big concern in our world, and then get practical. And there are some really basic things that we can do, like reducing our meat eating so that we're eating a predominantly vegetable and grain-based diet. Uh, doesn't mean we have to cut out meat totally. That maybe just have meat once or twice a week. Reduce, if not cut out altogether, the amount of flying we do. Cut out as much as you can single-use plastic. You know, there's really practical mm. stuff that you can do that you can find in, in my books, on my website, through the, the Tear Fund website and the work that we do there as well. But start with getting out mm. and finding that connection and God's heart. Fantastic, Ruth. Thank you so much. This, this book, Saying Yes to Life, uh, is excellent. I loved reading it. So thank you for, for writing that. And um, I'm just really hoping that it actually, a lot of the listeners will get hold of a copy and use it in Lent as a way of reflecting. Um, yeah. But before you go, just tell us a little bit about your work with Tear Fund as well, because you know what with Tear Fund and they do some amazing work. What is happening at Tear Fund at the moment that'd be great for us to know about? Yeah, well, a number of things. We work in around 50 countries around the world, working, partnering with the local church to see people lifted out of poverty. So there's always brilliant on-the-ground practical poverty relief stuff that, that we need people to support us with. We rely on our income from regular givers, and I really encourage people to have a look and see the work that we're doing there and then a couple of things that are coming up, particularly this year is a big year on our climate crisis with the Glasgow talks at the end mm. of the year. And we need people to be pushing our government to be taking this so seriously and making big action changes. So please sign up to Tear Fund's advocacy work in order to be able to play your part in doing that. And then the other emphasis that we've got is around plastic and looking at the link between plastic pollution 
and people living in poverty. That's a heck of a lot of peas. Mm. <laughs> and realise the impact that plastic has on people living in poverty. And we're calling on the world's four biggest consumer-facing companies. So that's Nestle, Coca-Cola, PepsiCo and Unilever. And calling on them to change their practices. So we're calling this our rubbish campaign. And we've had about 30,000 people join us so far, but and we've seen the companies beginning to respond, but we need that to continue. So we need new people and new people pushing the companies. So have a look at Tier Fund Rubbish Campaign and you'll find that. So we've, we've got some exciting things that are happening this year. Thank you so much for your time. If anybody wanted to connect with you or see more about what you've written and done, where can they head? Yeah, um, I'm on Twitter, all the usual sort of social media places, and I've also got a website. So if people just look for Ruth Valerio, you'll find my website. And I've got various green living articles and tips up there. Plus, um, I'm currently doing a series looking at the link between conflict and climate um, and some other things. So they could have a look at my website too. Great. We'll put the web link in the show notes as well for people to be able to click on that at the end of the podcast. So that's great. Ruth, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for writing the book and thank you for giving us a bit of time this afternoon to think a little bit theological about why we might care for the planet. So thank you so much. Thank you very much. Bless you. Good to be.